Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Waffle Press Commentaries. I haven't done one of these in a while. I'm your host, Diego Crespo. With me today is my retrospective co-host, Matt Garingo. Hi, that's me. Yeah, we're going to run through this really fast because we're going to talk about John Carpenter's The Thing, a film no one on planet Earth has ever said anything about. So we thought we'd fill the void with a long commentary track in this very odd time in human history. Uh, I'll ask Matt later why he wanted to do this one, because this was actually a Matt recommendation that we do the thing commentary. Um, So we can talk about that later. Uh, But for right now, do not press play yet. Uh, We just wanted to give a little introduction on on this commentary track. Mike, I'm watching my DVD copy. Diego's watching a digital copy. As the the Lord Um, intended. The Lord being Michael Mann. And we're... Yes. Um... One hour, 48 minutes, 41 seconds, give or take a second. And on YouTube, it's 42 seconds, so don't know what that's about. But uh, yeah, if you have your copy ready to go, just get ready. We're going to start. As soon wait, you got to say as soon as the uh, Universal logo goes away, at least on my DVD copy. Okay, yeah, if on, uh, on uh, your physical copy, once the Universal logo goes away, uh, for digital copies, I think it's just straight all the way through. So we're going to press play yeah. in three, two one play yes yay there we go a universal picture like oh. we're gonna hold back a little bit on personal history but matt why'd you choose this movie to do a commentary on something we've never done together Because i've watched it i've watched it three times since the quarantine so I don't know. I, I got, I'm kind of re-obsessed with one of my all-time favorite. Might be, I think, on this rewatch, I think, officially, this is my second favorite film of all time. I'm, so, first place being Jaws. This one is second. Rob Bottin. Uh I, I have trouble choosing the favorites. Uh, I know Jaws is your, your safe lock. I think Jurassic Park was for a while. Then it goes to, like, Blade Runner and Alien. And uh, I actually met someone, uh, a good friend now of mine, who's very close with Dean Cundy. And I was like, oh, my mm. God, even if they were like an asshole, I'd want to get close to them just so I could eventually meet <laughs> Dean Cundy. I don't know if that makes me a bad person, but I just want to thank him for his work on this and a bunch of other shit I like. And Jack and Jill. <sighs> we're just starting. Hey. And... Screenplay by Bill Lancaster. Oh, Matt, you have some notes on that, don't you? Yes. Um, well, Bill Lancaster, um, his other notable film is uh, is The Bad News Bears, which uh, is a movie that has aged incredibly strange. Up here comes that the UFO. <laughs> yeah. The Predator rips us off. I know, but hey, you know, if you're going to rip off a movie. <laughs> yeah, no, it's one of the best ones to do so. Um, but, uh, man, this logo that comes up is just so great, um, on the black screen. But yeah, um, I read the Bill Lancaster, uh, screenplay. It is very not great. <laughs> it has all the, like, bits and pieces of the story. Save a couple changes. There's a couple scenes that are in there that are not in the film. There's a, a few things that are reworked. It mostly has... All of the scenes that are in the movie, just in like a completely different order, and it it speaks to structure being an incredibly important aspect of this film. 
because man, it just it is not. I'm I'm shocked they got approval to shoot with that script. I mean, um, uh, there is something we've talked about a lot on the retrospective episodes is that you know you want all the pieces to come together as best as possible before cameras are rolling. You know, uh, pre-production I think is maybe one of the most important parts of the filmmaking process, but then that that's kind of a gray area, I guess, because it's all super important. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think it is possible to make a good film from bad script. It's just really fucking um, difficult. Yeah, well, I, it's when you really dig into the production history, because so, it's surprisingly scattered, the information about this. Like, you actually have to go digging. There's not, like, you know, if you have any of the Alien DVDs, there's usually at least, like, one comprehensive documentary per movie. Um, yep, at least for the per, first one three. Film. No, no, for Resurrection 2. Um, yeah, but that one's kind of like a fluff piece. Yeah, like, yeah. Well, when you, you end on that it. note, <laughs> like... Yeah, I, you know, I just, I'm just saying that, like, the a lot of these movies from this era, you get documentaries where they very much are like, look, here's how fucked up making this movie was. <laughs> and you get some of that. There's a very good um, documentary on the uh, DVD version that I believe was carried to the recent Blu-ray release called, uh, oh, God, I don't remember, just the making of the thing, whatever. Um, and, uh, but it, it, it doesn't cover everything which includes like a whole they, they almost made this with like tobe hooper you know um see i know very little about that i know of the production history being like a nightmare to shoot just because <laughs> stuff like they couldn't get beer up there and then yeah you know you're shooting in the fucking snow which is always just like the worst thing to ever happen to anybody yeah uh, this but... is a. Uh... Um, it surprisingly isn't, this movie wasn't as hard as you would expect, because a lot of this, you don't realize, is on, like, a studio. Um, I mean, a lot of the, like, shots of the, when they go to the UFO site later, that was filmed on, like, the Universal backlot. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, like, a you can kind of tell that's, like, a matte painting, but it's mm-hmm. still just, like, wow, the talent that it took to, like, create something of, that looks like that scale. Because you totally believe it, like the first time you're watching it like as a kid you know because i think we both watched it around the same age too oh yeah it all meshes very well i just noticed i can't believe i've never noticed this which maybe disqualifies me from doing this uh commentary altogether but they have like a whole collage of uh pornography on the wall (laughs) like black and white uh pictures of women in various states of undress Um, (laughs) well you know it's a bunch of dudes just I should point guys out that being this dudes. scene, just guys being dudes, this scene, um, the famous chess wizard scene, predicts the entire film. Uh, Wait, where, what? Uh, Kurt Russell, he's checkmated, and so he destroys the computer. Which is what they do. They get checkmated wow. by the thing, so they burn the whole base down. Wow. Which, it, it kind of sets up his entire character right here. Jesus, I never thought of that. But maybe that's just like a Kurt Russell Carpenter thing. Like, uh, the the system of this movie's not working. Maybe. Well, the the stupid, the chess thing was like a repeat thing in the original script where, like, like McCready's character keeps playing chess and keeps losing. Like, that, it becomes like a repeat thing. And somewhere along the line, Carpenter was like, we only need one fucking chess wizard scene <laughs> like there's literally a running gag of him destroying chess sets in the script um but it works fine the way it is yeah i've read the script long ago 
uh, when I was first starting to be like interested in like filmmaking just as a process. And uh, at the time, I was like, maybe I just don't get how to read screenplays yet because I was really like put off by that one in particular. Uh, and mm. then I started reading like William Goldman stuff, and I was like, maybe it's not just me. <laughs> yeah, they they must have. I don't know if that was the shooting script and they changed it while they were filming because there is like talks about how. John Carpenter kind of rewrote this thing with Bill Lancaster. And there's also, Bill Lancaster describes his original script, and his description is very different than the version that is out there. Which I believe ends... He said that he wrote a version that explicitly ends with Childs and MacReady being the thing. Um, which mm. is not the version... That has which it, the ver- if you read the script it has like all the a ton of the lines it but it's like all like just slightly longer slightly clunkier, um so it helps how stripped down this final version is and one big change is that uh I think t- the the original idea was you weren't gonna suspect that Kurt Russell's character McCready was gonna be the hero like he was kind of just gonna start out as one of the men. And then rise to the occasion. So his introduction came after this whole sequence with the Norwegians. Um, the chess wizard scene like is in the script, but it's later. <laughs> and it was a smart decision to move it to an earlier scene. <laughs> yeah, I think it works better because, you know, this is such an iconic Kurt Russell movie along with the John Carpenter movie. But um, I I don't know. I think that could have worked. I think that could have been like fun for a crowd pleaser uh, although i will say I this know. is like one of the ultimate crowd pleasers like if you watch this with the crowd uh if theaters yeah. are a thing uh in the future uh, then uh, the norwegian um saying he explicitly calls it some sort of thing i believe is the translation oh Everybody really you know like, what i'm a i'm a moron because i've never looked up what they're actually saying i'm just like yeah they're foreign so i don't know what that says about me yeah, he's saying, get away from it, you fools. It's saying, well, it's, it, I mean, it's honestly a kind of funny note that it's like, oh, if this guy, if anyone at this base spoke Norwegian, the plot of this movie probably wouldn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> like, the guy's I mean, a little crazed. Still... Yeah, but... like, they just, they were shooting a dog through the, the Arctic tundra, and then a yeah, helicopter but... blows up behind him. So they'd still but it be would like, have ar- what the fuck? It would have aroused a little more suspicion for the dog, I think. Yeah, yeah. Which no one seems to put together for a long time. Um, no, there's a lot of good ideas in the original script. And I do kind of like the idea of McCready kind of rising later. But I think you kind of need to start establishing him as the lead early on. <laughs> because one thing I realized um, in rewatching it um, not too long ago, which it, this might seem obvious. But a lot of people talk about this movie as like a mystery film as to who the thing is. And this movie is very much not a mystery film. <laughs> it It's a problem-solving film. It's a it's it very explicitly a quarantine film. Because <laughs> it's not about the mystery of who the thing is. It's about how do we solve this problem of the thing existing. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, it's not exactly a contagion, I guess. Contagion's kind of got more of the mystery thrill aspect to it. Uh, yeah. or, or something like side effects, but that's not even like a, an infection film or whatever. That's just a, mm-hmm. a medical drama, basically. Um, 
I, okay, I, I get that. See, what I was going to bring up was that as great a film as this is and as great a cast of actors as this is, they're pretty thinly written. And they, they don't, oh, need, no, all much, right. they don't need much more than what they have. I'm not, I'm not even, like, docking points or anything. Here comes our first throwdown, then. Because I went um, reading, I, I guess we're talking about this a little earlier. Um, the thing is was famously savaged by critics during its era. Um, I mean, I could not find any contemporary positive reviews of the thing in looking for it. Now, mind you, a lot of reviews from that era didn't make it online, but you have a lot of people calling it like Vincent Canby. I think called it instant trash. <laughs> Well, our boy, uh, our boy Roger Ebert, if I could bring him up for a second, he opened his review by calling it a great barf bag movie. Yeah. All right. But is it any good? I found it disappointing. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> a barf bag movie? I don't know. Yeah. Like, I, I think it's something what? like Evil Dead. Yeah, but I think it just speaks to how overwhelming the effects of this movie were, which I think shadowed a lot of people's original perception of it. But a, a repeated thing in a lot of the reviews is like these there's no character here none of these people are interesting they're shallow there's all this even uh i i found um what's that guy's name matt zoller sites is that his name yeah yeah uh, he did a uh, i found a thing about him called like 30 minutes on the thing which was a very like positive um more recent um appraisal of the thing and he said like the movie's not without his flaws the characters are very thin and i have to disagree <laughs> Because it is amazing how well-defined every character is in this movie. Like, you when, you when you talk about movies where, like, I think Eber talks about, like, how everyone in this movie just exists to be killed by the thing. But movies like that, to me, it's always like, you have three characters enter a room in every scene, and then two make it out, one dies, you know? Mm-hmm. Which I, I don't think happens here at all. And also, like, the like the one person that always dies is someone you met, like, just in the previous scene. Yeah, I mean, like, but, look at something like Friday the 13th, which generally, as a, like, as a horror hmm. franchise, just never really did it for me. There's a couple that stand out, but that's kind of what I think of in terms yeah. of that criticism. And I, I want to reiterate, I, I'm not saying thin as a criticism. I mean, they're, like, they have everything they need with the wardrobe, the performances, and the direction. Mm-hmm. I, I do not mean thin as a negative, and I really want to okay. reiterate that. Okay, because I was just, I was they're as well rounded as they need to be, and there's a lot of history you can or cannot read into them. Yeah, like, well, it's, 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 it's very uh, intentional. I think it's amazing that this movie gets so little credit for just you get everyone's entire relationship, like just with how they interact with each other. Like, there's never a scene like you know, like a bad like I feel like a bad version of this would have a scene where McCready talks about maybe serving in Vietnam or something, <laughs> like you know, which you can maybe insinuate, but you don't need to know. But just think of like how much you you get from Palmer just sitting there smoking weed, <laughs> and Nalls on his roller skates, and but even then, it's like just watching how they interact with each other. You get the sense that these are guys that have been locked up for a while. And are getting to know each other maybe a little more than they'd want to. <laughs> yeah. And I just think it's it, it doesn't get the credit it deserves in that regard. Because I think that's what makes this movie work. I think a movie where if we learned what McCready's hopes and wants were, you know, 
Mm-hmm. Like the classic, like you, when you write a character, you have to have want versus need and all that shit. Like I think this is the, this movie is an example of that you don't always need that. And if you if it was in this movie, it would make the movie worse, in my opinion. It would start to drag because one, the movie itself would need to like kind of acclimate to that. You know, it would need to be start yeah. being about that because someone like McCready is the main character. Um, but I think of something like. Like, if it's, like, a one-man show or one-woman show or one-person show, like, something like The Shallows or, like, whatever, right? Like, mm-hmm. that film is completely about that person, their, like, perspective of the events around them. So you need that driving, like, character trait. Oh, man, hold on. Just, I just love this, these series of shots. Just the hovering through the base. Um, and get another, like, little moment. Nalls does not turning the radio down. You get... Just like yeah, there's so many like just empty shots in this movie. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, and this uh, Carpenter is just so good at atmosphere. Yeah, this dog entering is so creepy. I mean, it's just it's very simple, and you know it's the famous you can't tell who it is, mm-hmm. which I think throws the audience off as too. Like you think that it's supposed to be like okay, we have to we have to solve the problem of who is the shadow when it's really like, no, that's we, now we know that, that it's too late. Like whatever could have been stopped from happening. It is now too late at that moment. So we'll see. Here's the hot take. I think I do know who that is. And there is no factual evidence to back me up. This is just a theory. Hmm. Uh, I, I hear <laughs> this is on me, not the film. I have trouble remembering a lot of the people's names. The dude who ends up on the table later. Uh, when his um, chest opens up, I'm pretty I, sure it's that actor's silhouette. I could see that, um, but, but again, I don't it think also the, doesn't matter. Yeah, I don't think there's a definitive timeline you can set up. I can talk. I have some fan theories, which are always kind of like the least interesting thing. But uh, yeah, um, we'll talk about that a little later. Mm-hmm. Um, here's one thing I really like about this movie. Uh, just while we're here, going to the Norwegian base. This whole sequence tells us everything that's going to happen. Because <laughs> everything that happened at the Norwegian base starts happening at the American base. Which is like a really interesting idea of suspense. Because you start subconsciously. Because I don't think it registers overtly. But you, when like, you know, you see the axe in the wall here. So when child starts axing down the one door, you start to see that like, Oh shit! Things are falling apart exactly as it happened at the other base. You know, I, I think and, that kind of taps in like in a really subliminal way, like the Lovecraftian nightmare aspect of this. Yeah, uh, like that. It's just a cycle of like insanity that's going on down there, and they just can't mm-hmm. escape it. Well, that's another thing where I think this movie's an interesting meet between like a Howard Hawksian western and a Lovecraftian horror film. <laughs> Because uh, this movie's famously, it's a remake of The Thing from Another World, um, which, you know, to, um, we just released our Poltergeist episode of the Happy Amblin um, retrospective, and that The Thing from Another World suffers from a similar thing where it was not directed by uh, Howard Hawks, but he produced it, and everyone just calls it Howard Hawks' The Thing. Well, even Carpenter in, like, the interviews uh, where he's hyping up this version of the thing or other film projects because 
It, look up any interview with him on camera. He brings up Howard Hawks like at least once, I swear to God. But um, yeah. he refers to it as Howard Hawks is the thing from another world or <laughs> offhandedly, supposedly uh, and Edward Nives. Someone's, yeah. I, see, I can't even remember the dude's name and I feel bad. Yeah, exactly. Um, a guy who didn't really do much, but he did it. And it's a weird thing where if you look at that guy's career, the one movie he did with Hawks... Sure as shit feels like a Howard Hawks movie. <laughs> it's kind of like, uh, for, for a more contemporary explanation, something like Dread. You see that director's resume and you're like, he did that? Yeah. And then you're like, who wrote it and produced it? Alex Garland? Oh. And it's like, yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, Alex Garland had a big hand in that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, you never know. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but uh the thing, and that's another thing that I think resulted in people, I think, negatively reacting to it, is we don't remember, because now The Thing has totally supplanted The Thing from Another World as the classic. Like, this is the one people point to. But The Thing from Another World was considered a classic of 50s science fiction horror. And I think it's a pretty great movie. I like this version more, but I do think that we've kind of ignored how good the original is. The problem is that, like, The Thing in that version is just, like... James Arness, like a giant, like Frankenstein type thing. Yeah, I think Carpenter like, even refers to him like as a vegetable man. Well, he is. He's a vegetable in it. <laughs> like that—that's the thing that, which I believe comes from who goes there, which is the um, John W. Campbell Jr. Uh, novella that all of this is based on. Um, which is a very strange story if you read it. Yeah, see, I've never uh, read it, and I. I've only seen The Thing from Another World twice, and I first saw it because I found out that The Thing was a remake like a couple years after I first saw it in middle school. I did not like it because mm. it, it, that just wasn't what I was into at the time. And now I'm like, I want everything, and now I, I really do like it. Uh, yeah. I prefer Carpenters, of course, but uh, it, it is something definitely worth checking out. Um, that, that Howard Hawks minimalism, I think, goes a long way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's very good. It's very. There's are some genuinely frightening moments in it. It's one of those movies where they don't show a ton, but they describe a lot, and it like really works. Yeah. Um, although, speak of the block of ice here, do you remember how the block of ice got unfrozen in the thing from another world? No, actually. Um, it uh, they brought it in and they had it like in storage, and a guy had a heated blanket. I think this is what happened. <laughs> And he didn't like looking at the thing, so he put a blanket over it, <laughs> and it melted it, and it killed him. Oh, um, wow. So that's it, which is cool, but that, this is a cool uh, reference to that, because this is like that block of ice. And if you want the best scene in that movie, um, that's not like a super frightening scene, is when they find the frozen flying saucer, and they go like, get, go out to all the corners of it so we can find the shape of it. And like all the men just like stand, and they slowly realize it's a flying saucer mm -hmm. it's really cool uh something uh, that is repeated here later on as we yes see. yeah very, you can see it very on striking the striking uh, image yeah this movie it's it's an interesting work it's like a playful like fake sequel to it you know mm -hmm. um like like the norwegian base takes the place of the howard hawks story and you know i'm kind of willing to bet that carpenter at one point was like Hey, what if we made this a sequel to the original one? 
like once he was brought on board because you know he didn't develop this one from the get-go yeah i think a big part of it was like from what i understand he was very reluctant to do this i want to say though just to go back doc's line of is that a man in there is a really creepy line oh yeah <laughs> um and this is this movie this movie totally like has its cake and eats it too because like they don't show it but then the next scene they immediately show it and it like delivers <laughs> Which never happens in these type of movies. Well, yeah, because the whole uh, thing with the monster movies, even now, is that, well, you can't show the monster too much, you know? Like, yeah. one of the big criticisms of a movie that we both enjoyed, Godzilla, King of the Monsters, is that, well, they show the monsters too much, you know? And it's like, yeah. well, that's what that movie's trying. It's not, <laughs> it's not being coy. Godzilla 20-whatever, the big complaint was uh, they don't show the monsters enough. Yeah, so no one knows what they want. Uh, both movies I enjoyed. If you read the script again, it's it doesn't even bother describing the thing. It's just, it really is kind of like in the shadows monster movie. Mm-hmm. Um, which which there's a couple scenes in the script which aren't in the movie where that kind of works, but um, the decision to just go crazy with it, uh, I think was the right one. Yeah, but uh, and uh, let's talk about oh, this uh, pile of meat. <laughs> yep. Oh, it looks great. Um, the smoke coming off of it, and this is a good scene where every actor gets to give a performance. Um, again, just talking about, like, I don't know, I totally am baffled by the people being like, these characters are paper thin. Like, everyone reacts in a unique way. You know? like Yeah, and I mean, that comes down to, like, obviously solid writing. At some point, this got solid writing. <laughs> um, yeah. But also uh, blocking and directing. Uh, the actors that, that that plays a big part of it, and when you have an ensemble cast, for those that don't like have never been behind a camera or something, this isn't something that obviously is talked about a lot. But like, it's really fucking difficult to frame actors and yeah. like, make it look natural but not imposing. Uh, it and there's like a dozen people in this film at any given mm. point at certain times, so oh, no, like no, it's... It, it's fucking crazy. Yeah. I, I, I think it does a fantastic job. Oh, um, yeah. No, no. If you, you want to learn, like, blocking, watch uh, watch Carpenter's ensemble film, The Thing. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I would argue you could watch any one of his movies where there's, like, a large cast. I mean, he, do, he does a very, like, I think Prince of Darkness is very similar in terms of setup. I think Prince of Darkness, I think I talked about, which I, a movie I love, but it turns into, like, a haunted house movie. <laughs> In yeah, yeah. The last half, um, it's kind of like doesn't have the follow through that you want it to have, but uh, it still has incredible setup and great um, characters to the point where you start getting upset when like people start dying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and I just want to say really quick, I think Prince of Darkness is actually a scarier film than this one. I have um, never been scared by the thing. Is my thing? It's oh, like man. Alien for me, where I it's kind of love mm-hmm. at first sight, where I'm just like, wow. To the point where, like, this doesn't affect me in, like, a, a way that keeps me up at night. I'm just like, wow, someone did this. Someone created something this good with human hands, you know? Um, I don't know. I, I, I've been scared by the thing, but not by the thing itself. I think it's the classic thing of, like, the scary thing about this movie is the paranoia that immediately sets in. Mm-hmm. And the dread. And if you, especially if you look at McCready's character, because, like, one thing they kind of define mccready by is he kind of seems to be like the one that's like putting together the bigger implications of everything before everyone else Mm -hmm. 
So if you watch his character bef- up until the, you know, shit hits the fan, he's kind of the one looking around, kind of realizing, like, this is going to be bad. <laughs> you know? And honestly, I think if you look at some of the shit that's been happening in our country in the past couple weeks, um, you know, there was that couple weeks ago where, like, everyone was kind of talking about this virus, and... You know, there was like, well, if they get a handle on it, it won't be that bad. And like the sinking realization that we're currently surrounded by people who don't have a good handle on the situation. (laughs) And it was, you know, it was fucked up to watch everything play out where it was like we knew it was going to be bad and then it ended up being bad. (laughs) And I think the unbelievable paranoia of this film is what the staying power of it. Like, that frightens me more than anything in any other Carpenter work. Like, which I'm not, I'm not to put down Prince of Darkness, which is a very scary film. <laughs> but I think the, uh, you know, if you've ever been in a room with different personalities under pressure, you know how bad that shit can get and how quickly it can get bad. Now, imagine the stakes are the end of the world. <laughs> But when you put like, it like fucking that, then yeah, this is the scariest film I'm just ever saying. Made. Yeah, this movie's terrifying. I don't know. No, I'm, I'm just not... flashing back to like these newsrooms I've been in. And I'm like, oh, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if you've ever had a job, yeah. you know. Working, working with people that I greatly admire and care about. I'm just saying, I know it can get heated. So Yeah, and like, and like the debate, like when you're in like, you know, if you're working in like a fucking kitchen, the problem is like, who's going to take the late shift? Who's cleaning up? And you can see how like tense shit like that gets and how it builds up. Now imagine you're stuck with those people and you have to stop the world from ending. Like, that's scary. <laughs> the Thing is low-key like the most socially relevant film like of our times. Like right now, at this point in human history. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um... Although I think it's a perfect Reagan era film, um, oh. twenty. It's right, right before the AIDS crisis. This movie's perfect. Oh God, uh, the thing finally uh, revealed twenty eight minutes in. About um, I do love one thing I like is that a worse film. As soon as the dog thing walked in, all the other dogs would have immediately reacted. It's scarier that they don't react. And then once it turns into a monster, they wreck because it even fooled the dogs, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, that's the whole thing in, like, all these horror films. The dogs, the animals know immediately, but not mm-hmm. here. Not the thing. Not here. They they were uh, they were fooled just as anyone else. And, man, this is disgusting. Oh, yeah, it's so gross. And I always feel so bad because I'm an, I'm an animal lover. Uh, yeah. So, you know, part of me is always like, fuck, that's just really sad. Um, mm. It's like they're just a bunch of good boys. They don't deserve that. Uh, yeah. But I was talking about me not being scared of this. I showed this film to younger cousins one time when I was babysitting them, like, years and years ago. And I was like, yeah, they could probably handle the thing. Like, my cousin plays Halo. That's <laughs> violent. And then the dog scene happens, and they're just screaming, <laughs> like, yeah, what are you doing? Why'd you show us this? And I was like, oh, maybe maybe this one was a little much. <laughs> and I felt yeah, so I... bad. Well, I've talked about um, being raised by an irresponsible parent um, in terms of the art I was shown. Yeah. <laughs> so I've seen I've seen this movie since I was like five years old. Uh, I think my dad showed me Aliens, and then like all bets were off, and he just started showing me everything. And uh, but my problem was I turned into the kid who showed this to all his friends, <laughs> and I made I made some friends very upset. 
um, at showing them this movie because it is very uh, disgusting and frightening and violent, especially if you aren't prepared for it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so like I, uh, I, I fucked up three of my little cousins for like a weekend, like that. Yeah. I was like, sorry, I got, I got a little talking to. From you can the, see that if you elders. pause. Sorry to sorry to interrupt you. If you yeah, pause yeah. that hallway scene at the right moment, you can see the doc's dick. <laughs> I feel like the world needs to know that. <laughs> oh, thank you. I guess. Yeah. So okay, I feel so like it's an under discussed element. Well, you know, I mean, the, you need to be able to tell uh, in case he's turning into the thing. Yes. Because yeah, uh, the penis is the last one to go. Oh, yeah. Well, I, it says it rips this. through your clothes, so we don't know what might have been happening before that. Oh, this yeah. is so good. Yeah. Stan Winston did this one. Now, he, uh, did he do all of the effects or just like, did he oversee no, them this or just one, specific ones? It was Rob Bottin's show, and I think um, Rob Bottin worked under Stan Winston at one point, and uh, he was the one who, he called Stan for help, and Stan was like, I'll do it, but I don't want credit. So if you look at the credits, he gets a special thanks. He's not credited as being part of the special effects. Hmm. Uh, okay, but I believe so this is it, the it, only it, one he did extensive work on. All right, so like the way the dogs like go out, we never see it fully get the humans, like, in the moment, except for, um, fuck, see, I'm so bad at the character names. Bennings. No, not even Bennings. We we don't see uh, him turn into the thing. We see, the like, it almost happened, but we never see the moment when it, like, gets him. You know, we see the aftermath hmm. of it, but we're seeing it with the dogs, right? And yeah. they're, like, crying out in pain. And that always that was a little unsettling to me, yeah. Because that means the people are in pain when they're going too. You know, it's not like a a calm thing. And at the end, someone gets it in the face. Who, who's yeah? Who's, and that's like um, rough. Windows right? gets it in the face, I believe. Oh, Windows gets in the face. Uh, who gets the hand through the face? Though? Oh, uh, yeah, Gary. Gary gets Thank a you. Blair Gary gets it gets in the face, face. like that, and it's like horrifying. <laughs> Um, yeah, but I don't know that the, the the dog screaming was the the really unsettling thing to me no, because no, that means the people are going through that in some capacity. It's very uh, upsetting to think about, and then yeah. you just see a dog get shot. Like um, we should mention that the, this movie, uh, I believe, premiered like the same weekend ET came out. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Its official release was the same weekend as Blade Runner, but its premiere was the week E.T. was released. So yeah, go go see E.T., leave the theater feeling like the world's in a better place, and then go watch the thing and just have it all taken from you. Yeah, and frankly, I feel like if you look at the culture of that time, um, I feel like this movie needed, the 80s needed this fucking movie as a wake-up call. <laughs> Yeah, but, and that's, maybe that's no, why they also rejected it, you know? Yeah. You know, this isn't a movie about America being that great city on the hill or whatever the fuck. <laughs> this is a movie how, when the pressure comes down to it, everyone's gonna turn on each other. <laughs> but, but by the end, the ones that do work together can can maybe take some no. good away from it. No, no, everyone dies. Yeah, but they they sacrifice themselves for the greater good, you know? Yeah, but we gotta talk about how MacReady makes basically every wrong call in this movie. Oh, no, no, no. Absolutely. But, like, right. 
you know, I'm trying to spin it some positive way, even though it's like a really cynical, nihilistic nightmare of a film. I was just, I read a good point about this movie where they said that Blair, the character, kind of represents the classic Lovecraftian villain. I mean, character um, protagonist where they're overcome with the madness of the situation and ultimately succumb to what's going on. Uh, and to the point where they become the monster. I mean, how many Lovecraft stories end with that revelation? Mm-hmm. Um, whereas Kurt Russell represents the classic American, like, cowboy man. <laughs> and I like the, that. Yeah, and the end of the movie, they're both wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it doesn't matter. <laughs> well, see, Blair, I think, would be friends with Herbert West, but he, would, he wouldn't be happy about it. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if... Yeah, I, I feel like that maybe, but it's more just, you know, it's that classic thing. Where, I mean, you talk about all the eco-fucking fascists that have come out where they're like, humanity's the problem. Look at how clean the air is now that no one's driving because of the quarantine. And it's like, those are, they're they're all a bunch of little blares at the end of the day. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. And for the record, everyone's saying that, please shut the fuck up. Yeah, that is not the problem. The problem yeah. is just that the systems we currently live in do not want us to 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 have that like that equal balance with nature there's a way to make it work it is not capitalism there's an optimistic reading of everything that's happening right now which look how easily we could change everything if we wanted Mm -hmm. the problem is the people in charge don't want to change so but i love how quick how tense this scene gets how quickly it does um we're just Dog wasn't put in till last night. Uh, <laughs> this is like, oh. And this is, here's some great directing where Blair is just like sitting in the background. Again, he's the one who starts to figure out like, oh, we're all fucked. Like way before anyone else. Yeah, because lo- like, wh- look at the blocking of the people around the television. Then Blair's just <laughs> huddled in the corner, basically. Yeah. And uh, if you read the uh, script again, which I've talked about being very bad. There's like three scenes in a row of Blair being like, you don't understand, you don't understand, like, we're, we're all doomed before he goes officially crazy and starts smashing things. <laughs> and instead here, it, it truncates it all into, like, scenes with very little dialogue about it. I mean, I we're coming up on the uh, computer scene where um, Blair you know, just watches that computer and calculates, and we're basically just told, that's this movie's version of exposition, which people complain about that. I think that's a much better version than, like, you know, having people sit around and talk about it, which there are a lot of scenes like that in the script, and there are a couple deleted scenes where they overly explain what's happening. (laughs) Well, because, I mean, how big of a problem is that, like, nowadays, with, like, every... Like, big-budget movie. Because this was kind of like a... I guess we talk about it now. Like, this was almost basically Carpenter's big break. Uh, yeah. With a big studio budget behind him. A uh, big critical reception coming up. Doesn't mean it was going to be positive. It was, but it was going to be the biggest audience, basically, he'd ever see. And uh, just have it completely <laughs> rejected. Yeah. Because it doesn't operate like a traditional studio film i guess like even now people love the thing but movies don't operate like this yeah and and all the ripoffs of the thing have failed like 
there aren't really great um, rip-offs of the thing. There's a lot of great, like, like fun little homages, you know, there's, like, that X-Files episode everyone talks about, and, um, like, Deep Space Nine had the whole changeling thing, and, but it never works as well. Well, no, you know what? There's an episode of Gravity Falls with a shape-shifting monster, and it's terrific. Oh, yeah, but, that's a you lot know, of fun. It's, it, but that's a, that's a kid's show, so. It's a children's show, yeah. yeah. It's not the same. And, yeah, not the, not the same at all, but, um, yeah, I just, it's that thing of just, I don't think people, like, the closest I think we got to, like, a good homage to this is, like, The Hateful Eight. Oh, yeah, The Hateful Eight is much... basically, like, the same film, but instead of a shape-shifting yeah. alien monster, it is, uh, like, the boiling kettle of, like, racism and, like, systemic problems in American society. Yeah, and that's another movie where everyone ends up being terrible by the end. Oh, Yeah. Like, that's a film um, and also specifically chess, with no heroes. Chess plays a major role in that film too. The chessboard at the center of uh, Minnie's haberdashery. Um, so I think Quentin might have picked up on that too. Mm-hmm. I like this guy casually throwing out that the ice must be a hundred thousand years old or whatever. Yeah, like see, I I totally buy the line and everything, but it's one mm-hmm. of those. That's one of the moments where you take a second to think about it and you're like. Wait what? <laughs> oh yeah, there's insanity in this movie. I mean, the fact that it's it's a it's a flying saucer, like yeah. <laughs> which like this. You're telling me this thing like has a ship that is mechanical, like <laughs> you know, I, in the when you think about it, that doesn't make any sense. But um, when you watch it, it it's played so straight and taken so seriously. And again, it there's like again, there's just no dialogue here. And it lets the your brain do the mental leaps. And that's how it gets into you. Which is, again, how this paranoia that all these people start suffering with starts uh, just building. And see, I think that's also like... Uh, because Carpenter, while a great filmmaker, he's very minimalist in his approach. You know, like I've been watching Escape from New York a lot lately. Uh, and that's like a film where it's just a dude walking around basically for a lot of the time. And it's perfect yeah. for what it is, yeah. right? Well, he's accused uh, of si- style over substance, and I think what we're starting to learn more is that, no, there's plenty of substance to his movie, just no one fucking bothered to look for it. Yeah, like, right. it, it's just a testament to his direction that he can, like, stuff all this in with extended sequences of just, like, characters blocking and the environments, <laughs> like, meticulously what? designed to, like, represent certain things or whatever. Yeah, he just knows the power of not saying something. Yeah, and so, like, that simplicity, I think, is a perfect counter to the thing's, like, ever-changing nature, you know? That's why I think this is the best Carpenter film, because it's where, like, his, his, uh, like, entire toolbox kind of is confronted by something that is, like, the, like, literally unknowable and undefinable. Yeah, and and every, every strength of his is just firing on all cylinders, in this movie. Like, there's no... Like, other than maybe Halloween, there's no one where, like, all the pieces coalesce as well as this movie. I don't know. I I've, I loved Halloween more each time I watch it, but there are still other ones, I think, that are significantly better, which is no disrespect to Halloween. Mm. Just, well, I mean, there's, uh, we're talking about that personal favorite is very different than well-made, you know? Yeah, yeah, no, 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 I'm serious. Like, I think Escape from New York comes together much better than Halloween. Yeah. 
Um, I don't know. I wouldn't necessarily agree with that. Um, no, escape from L.A. No, listen. No. <laughs> anyway, if you, I was going to bring up Prometheus and how this Prometheus is a failed version of this. If I'm not going to do that, you're not bringing up Escape from L.A. <laughs> yeah, no, this is not so, a retrospective. We can't, we can't go all the, all the be, ways like that. I'm trying to be uh, as polite as possible. <laughs> for John. Um, oh, my God, that's a Terminator reference. Anyways, so, like, the, <laughs> the computer scene that uh, – this is actually the first scene I've – I watched from the film. Oh. I was at a, like my dad took me to like one of, he worked for the gas company. So they had like a barbecue, right? And then all the kids inside while well, the adults are getting hammered on the outside. And so someone was just like, let's see what's on TV. And then they put it on the thing. Like, Oh, this one's great. You've all seen it. Right. And I was like, what's the thing? And I was mm-hmm. like, I was less than like nine years old. And, uh, this scene, I was just like, what's, What's happening? I don't know what this is, but just something about it was so magnetic to my, like, psyche. I just completely was honed in. I think it was on TNT or something. And I was just like, I I could not look away. The music, the rhythm of the scene, it was just like, I had never experienced something like it. This is one of those movies where when you watch it, it's like, you're like, why can't every genre movie work this good (laughs) you know yeah like there's so many movies i love but like they all kind of fall short just because you know circumstances resources blah blah like i guess that's what what this movie really is is that this was the one time uh quote unquote b genre film was given like studio support Mm -hmm. you know like like even something like alien it's oddly like crisper and like in a way I think that kind of like it gets in the way of what that film is a little bit and that's like I'm talking that's like very minor I'm not trying to like dunk on Alien yeah yeah of course I- and I but, disagree with what you're saying but I completely mm-hmm. see what you're saying like what in I'm terms, saying in terms all I'm of saying alien. is yeah it, all I'm saying is that like if it's the middle of the night and it's like you give me a one sentence setup of a horror film right mm-hmm. and you go. Like, what you imagine what it wants to look like. You want... When you hear the one-sentence description of the thing, this movie is exactly what you want it to look like. Yeah. <clears throat> Whereas Alien is a more heady film. It's a more, you know... Um, which is, like, kind of elevated in that way. While also being, like, a gothic dark house movie in space. Yeah. Or to, and, to, to paraphrase Sir Ridley Scott, it's a, it's a B-movie with an A-movie budget. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't agree with that. But <laughs> I, I, no I would not either. Sir. He's just a crazy. No man. offense to Sir Ridley, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's just like the thing, like Alien, which uh, a movie I love. You know, I'd put the thing on any day of the week over Alien, and that's not really a knock at it. It's just in terms of like what I want to see. Yeah, yeah. In a movie, and again and a lot of the reviews for this would like bring up alien as like the superior version and uh i i just disagree wholeheartedly not even in like a one is clearly better they're just clearly different movies yeah like whoever's saying that like like no (laughs) i think they wanted more of the like class stuff that's in alien in this movie and it's like there is that element here but it's like not as overt you know yeah i guess uh it it, part of that will always come down to what people prefer in the film itself you know or like what director style you like or like 
what the film's yeah. trying to say, like what's, what draws you to a movie at the end of the day. And and Carpenter's whole thing, I think, is such a strength because it's such a specific tone he's often working with, but it's also broad enough with the stories he's telling that you can stuff all these different like ideas and personalities into the, the, the confines of his like film structure. Yeah. I think there's, there's that classic, like, with a movie like this, at some point you're like, fuck, what would I do in that yeah. situation? Which you don't get with some other horror films, even very good ones. Uh, I, you don't necessarily feel that way. Um, not to bring up Alien again, <laughs> but, like, you know, Alien's a final girl movie. And you kind of just you're, you you kind of just end up aligning with her because she's the one that's left. No disrespect to Ripley, but like that's just kind of how the dominoes fall in that movie. <laughs> Whereas this, you can kind of imagine yourself as one cog in this nightmare machine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's easier to to kind of supplant yourself in there, I guess. This might be. Now this scene is terrifying. <laughs> This upcoming moment with Bennings, um, when he howls. Yeah. That, uh, well, just the image of, of this run we're about to see, it was, uh, yeah. is a little, like, if I saw that in the middle of the night, I'd be like, I'm, I'm going back inside. <laughs> like, and you have the Dean Cundy blue lighting. It's so good. Oh, fuck this yeah. Is... Like, Dean Cundy, if you're out there, I know you are. Um, mm. Thank you. Just, uh, what, what a great filmography. Yeah. This guy and this movie, you know what's a movie I don't feel this way until... I never feel this way again about the Arctic as a setting until... Oh, there it is. Mm. Like the slow reveal of the hand and then you can hear like... You can hear a human scream in the middle of like all these alien screams. Like yeah, that's fucked that just up. sends it to like the next level. And see, that brings up the thing I, I was bringing up too. Like... like how much of them is suffering in that transition? Yeah. You know? Or how much of them do you, do they fully go away? Like, that's what... And it's, like, it's a really, like, twisted version of, like, the unknowableness of death. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, what if the evidence pointed to death being eternally painful? <laughs> like... <laughs> you know, or, like, uh, uh, this is a little different, but it's a line that always stuck with me, that dawn at the deadline about, like, when hell is full, the dead will walk the earth. You know, mm-hmm. like, my, my brain did conflate the two of these at one point. Not that they were the same movie, just that that same, like, ideology, like, yeah. what is happening <laughs> to to that person's, like, body or soul in, mm-hmm. like, the transition into the thing. <laughs> but I was saying, um, this movie very much reminds me of the Werner Herzog documentary, Encounters at the End of the World, where he films at the... Very interesting, um... Um, emphasis on the end of the world part, of course. Uh, but it's kind of like, it's a, it's a funny documentary about like what type of person would go to the Arctic and also like, just like the, like the weird drive of humanity that brings us to these locations. And this is just like the horror film version of that, (laughs) which again, why I don't think you need like all these super like deep characterizations of everyone, because it's like, you can, the movie trust the audience enough to be like hey anyone that would be in the arctic is going to have a couple screws loose (laughs) and they're going to be a little quirky (laughs) well you know they actually play this film every year like at a science station yeah i read that yeah yeah like (laughs) which is fantastic 
Yeah, that, that's pretty great. But then, you know, what do they think of when they go to sleep at night? Well, yeah, yeah. You just got to hope you don't run into that shit out yeah. there. Because every now and then, they, you know, they dig in the ice and they uncover something that, like, we've never seen before. Because, like, under the ice, there's, like, all these, like, parts of the ocean that have been, like, separated by miles of ice for, like, ever. And so, like, life evolves in, like, completely different directions out there. <laughs> I you don't even you... need alien horror. It's it's terrestrial horror. Yeah, no, it's here. The, the the fear is here. I think even like Wilfred Brimley like often retweets people's like scientific discoveries, and he's like, <laughs> "Is that really shit. him?" I have because like don't it's know, not verified, but it's funny to imagine that it is. Yeah, because Wilfred Brimley's like ninety at this point. Like, yeah, but how fucking awesome would that be if that was? Him? It would be great. I feel like I, my, part of me wonders if it's like a grandson or something like that. You know, running the account. Uh, hey, Grandpa, you know. your tweet got a million likes. What? <laughs> What's a tweet? Uh, although, from what I understand, he was going to, like, conventions until, like, recently. Oh, God bless uh, him. So, uh, good for him. Yeah. This this is a creepy shot. Although, clearly not Wilford Brimley. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> although, Rif- Wilford Brimley is, like not that old in this no he's not but he's like it just that didn't although he's a killing machine in this fucking movie like just yeah. that, that scene of him tearing up the place which we're about to get into yeah it's uh i saw some there's some stupid show i watched one year that was like the 20 scariest horror films of all time and uh it was hosted by bruce campbell i think and uh they did like they did like weird lists of like what are the most dangerous like things to run into in a horror film and one of them was Wilfred Brimley <laughs> 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 and it was just the clips of him smashing up the room um again there's a, there's another version of this which is very oh dialogue God. heavy um which doesn't work at all also like another really bad element of the script is like Clark, the dog handler, is kind of like Lenny from Of Mice and Men. Like, he's a little, like, feeble-minded and, like, loves the dogs. Whereas here, he's just a guy who's, like, (laughs) he's just more connected to the dogs than the people he's around. I think we all know someone who goes to, like, a party and might spend more time with, like, the host's pet than the other party patrons. Like, I get that. Yeah. It's me. It's oh, me. Is, I am that. This whole scene is amazing. <laughs> I'm sorry. Just come over that here, thing wanted to be us. Oh, that's a that's a creepy line. Uh, but the 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 rest of the scene is somewhat comical. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, it's horrifying. Um, like, like I'm crazy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Kurt Russell John Carpenter commentary is terrific. Oh, yeah. So listen to that after ours. Uh, they're basically just shooting the shit the whole time and, like, laughing their asses off. But uh, they give a big shout-out to, like, just how hilarious this scene is, too. Yeah, well, Kurt Russell Kurt Russell seems to laugh every time Wilford Brimley comes on camera. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I have to wonder if there was maybe some alcohol on the premises while recording those commentaries. Oh, no. Like, like 100%. Yeah, you can imagine them just sitting back watching it. Uh I'll kill you is very funny coming up. And it's like, Blair, you don't want to hurt anybody. <laughs> like, what the fuck? <laughs> you don't want to hurt anybody. I'll kill you. Pulls a gun out. 
And then he, he throws the gun, and they just come in and beat the shit out of him. He punches, like... And also, he fucks up throwing this chair, which is very funny. Like, yeah. He just, like, misses, and then you just hear Kurt Russell just punching Wilford Brimley. Oh, Wilfred Brimley can fucking hang, man. Took five dudes to bring yeah. down Wilfred Brimley. <laughs> five dudes, a table, and a chair. Yeah. Great. <laughs> now they you know, like, like Nick Fury's going to recruit him for the Avengers Initiative. Um, one thing to talk about. This actually, this uh, Clark and the dogs, this partly reminds me of in the uh, Stephen King novella, uh, The Mist, um, as things started, which is very, like, thing adjacent. In terms of a story, it might have been published before this movie came out, though. Um, as everyone starts to lose it in the supermarket, uh, the butcher in the novella version starts to lose it because all his meat starts to rot, and it like starts driving him mad. <laughs> Stephen uh, Stephen King is someone whose work I have very mixed opinions on, but I love him. I love oh, him. Oh no, I love no. His work. Uh, there's there's a nugget of a great idea in all his stuff. Um, there's like, there's a, there was a great Patton Oswalt bit about reading the com- com- complete works of Edgar Allan Poe and how like 90% of his work is like <laughs> dog shit. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, but if you wrote as much as Edgar Allan Poe, like every now and then you're accidentally going to drop the Raven, <laughs> like, which is like oh, Stephen yeah. King's entire bibliography. <laughs> he just pumps out like novels on weekends. Yeah, it's insane. He gets like two thousand page novels like and every the, year. <laughs> not not to conflate the two, but John Carpenter's whole thing, his whole thing was that you could have a pretty good career in Hollywood as a screenwriter, and you could just do like punch ups or whatever, and like just you, maybe nothing even gets made, um, but just putting your name out there and getting work done. Right? Uh, his whole thing was that he would outline for a couple days after getting <laughs> hired by the studio to write a project or something right uh and he would drink 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 for the rest of the month before the deadline to turn in the screenplay and then the last couple days uh before needing to turn it into the studio he would punch out like a single draft in order to give the studio what they paid for oh it's great i, I love it um <laughs> it's well, I gotta point out, this is the moment where it's, like, it hits home, like, the, the the real deep question about, like, what is the thing? Like, it's ultimate unknowableness, and it's, like, threat to human identity of the self, like, which is the really scary concept of the scene. But I gotta talk about Carpenter's laziness a little bit. Um, I found some video from his, like, recent concerts um, that he's been doing, which is just great. Like, I love that he's doing it. Um, and he's clearly a guy enjoying it. Uh, but, like, he had, like, all this, like, he'd have, like, written material to say in between (laughs) songs. And it was, like, it felt like he wrote it, like, five minutes before going out on stage. (laughs) And, like, doesn't even try. And he's like, yeah, how about a car? And then, like, it, like, transitions into the Christine theme. And you're like, what the fuck was that, Carpenter? The the blood, um... Um, you know, okay. So, oh man, this is good. We're talking about like we how we don't need answers about who is what in the thing, but after like like for for years after I first became obsessed with the thing, I would like 
I would try to convince myself I knew who was who and like no 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 okay mm. so the silhouettes like the dude in the sh- with the sweater and it it just ate away all my free time just trying to figure yeah, yeah. out like who was who and what was what just oh my god the tension just everyone like immediately turns like it's so good because like Doc has been like a very like you know kind of friendly guy up till this moment. And then he's like, well, as soon as I'm done, I return it right away. And, like, just shoots that look yeah. at Gary. And I love that it's like, it could only be these two guys. And then the movie's like, nope, it was neither. <laughs> and then we never get that answer. But uh, there is a hint. There is a hint how it might have happened. Um, when Bennings turns into the thing, uh, Windows has the keys because Ooh. he was opening the storage room. And you hear him drop the keys. As he runs away. So someone might have lifted the key that then. Oh, I never picked up so, on that. You never know. Um, yeah, yeah. But the way the scene is framed, it feels like whatever happened just happened. And again, that's so, just something that, like, uh, I feel people get cold feet about, you know? Like, they, they think they don't want ambiguity in stories. Like, they think they want to see yeah. everything. Or they, they need it to be... They need to be a hundred percent like this tight thing, like where just everything like point A leads to point B. I mean, frankly, reading a lot of the complaints of this movie from its era, it reads a lot like internet dudes <laughs> trying to solve certain movies. Yeah, uh, you know what I'm saying. Like, and like the weirdest thing is that like people don't get that still. You know, like <laughs> well, it's so weird. What, the, the, the multiple things that are weird about it is, one, like, it's professional critics not getting it in the 80s. Like, it's, the worm has at least seemed to turn where now, like, professional critics, like, have a better handle on that kind of stuff. But now it's also like, but then this movie is constantly brought up by people who are like, you see, critics aren't always right. And they're brought up by the type of people who, if they saw yeah. the thing in the era, would like, hate it. Like... <laughs> It's just... Just be willing uh, to embrace things that are different. Oh my. And honestly, it's it's okay yeah. if you don't like it at first, or at all. Just, like, come to terms with it on your own and see why why something does or does not work for you. You just understand there's no objective... There's no, like, rigid reasoning behind it. Um, I like this moment where he uh, he refuses leadership. Um, the Joseph Campbell monomyth refusal <laughs> <laughs> of the call. <laughs> He is not going on the hero's journey. Hey, he comes back fundamentally changed. He turns into a walking head crab. No. <laughs> but, uh... That's what Star Wars is missing. Yeah, but um, what I was going to say is... Uh, it's interesting because he is the thing at that moment. So it's like there's multiple interpretations of... Is he knowingly giving it up because he knows that as leader that most scrutiny will be pointed towards him? Um, the actor gives an interesting take where he, uh, says that that's the human part of him, um, resisting the thing. Oh, oh, I really love that. Oh, wow. I, I, And there's also the scary, there's also the scary implication that, like, you might be the thing and not even know it, which is, like, a somewhat frightening prospect. (laughs) That was always my read of Mm -hmm. it. No. He does not realize that it – I guess my ultimate read of the thing is that I didn't know how much people held on to their lives, yeah. I guess, like while they were being taken over. Mm. 
But then by the end, you don't even have, like, a memory of it taking yeah. you over. And you do not know what you are. Well, it's weird, because you have to imagine cause the, the thing has to have, like, a survival instinct, because it's doing things to protect itself, right? Like, it'll lash out when discovered, and it's, like, destroying evidence and killing people. And, but it also, it's such a perfect imitation <laughs> that it, fundamentally, it could just be the same person. It really is a, a chilling prospect. Um, it, well, well, here's a chilling comparison, I guess. This is, like, a real creature in human life, okay? Like, uh, it doesn't affect human beings, so maybe not human life, but, like, there's, like, some insect larva thing that can infect, like, birds, right? And it has to, like, go through the bird's digestive system to land back in nature. And from there, it, like, weaves its way into, like, a snail's mm. brain, right? And it, like, controls the snail without it knowing to go to a high, high, high point so it can be eaten by mm. a bird and the larva can repeat the wow. cycle. And the snail, as far as I know, is never aware of it. And so that's kind of like – that's kind of how the thing operates, I think. Like the person's yeah. not aware, but the thing is. So it's it's that weird like – you know, I think it's like that frightening thing of like where we have to realize the fine line between human and the rest of biological life. Yeah. Uh, Which is both like nature's fucking scary. Well, that weird thing of like, there's a really there's that beautiful side of like the interconnectivity of all things, but then there's that frightening like, <laughs> you know, the primordial soup and just cosmic chaos that creates everything. <laughs> um, but uh, again, we're seeing this is the beginnings of Macready's leadership, um, and he he ties up three people who are not infected at all. <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, it ultimately it's a detriment. <laughs> um, but, uh, I believe this scene isn't even in the original script. This, uh, which is like one of the best scenes in the movie. Um, with the tape recorder, which also, if you have the thing, video game for the PS2, in which John Carpenter has a role. <laughs> yeah. Um, you can find, uh, McCready's old tape recorder at the burned out remains of Outpost, uh, 31. And you know what I appreciate about that? They get it right out of the way. Just boom, you yeah. found it. You're you're back in the in the zone. You know exactly what you're in for. It's kind of a repeat of like the opening of the movie too. You know, instead yeah. of the Norwegian outpost, although you end up going there anyways. Yeah, yeah. In the I, game. It's, so, the, it's weird game. Weird game. I have not played it in forever. Um, the last thing I remember watching was a video of a guy basically dunking on it, but um, from the angry reviewer era of YouTube. It's such a perfect premise for a game, too. Like, with the technology that we have now, uh, I bet we could make a pretty good game with it. But I do want to call out something that as the film progresses, like in the scene with uh, McCready and the tape recorder, with that, like, dead space yeah. behind him. Well, there's, yeah. Uh, there's just nothing there. Like, it's that classic horror movie filmmaking where it, like, kind of trains your brain to to anticipate yeah. something popping up there that and like the constant fades to black in this movie also add to it but also like in this scene mccready is kind of like a threat for a moment which leads into where we're going to see uh fuchs run out there and discover uh the remains of mccready's shirt um and then his mysterious his mysterious death, which is never fully explained. Mm -hmm. And, yes. like, every option... Like, we could go over it. We could litigate the whole thing. But, like, every option is frightening. Uh, and 
which is Fuchs is such a like you know he's like the one voice of reason really left um just kind of overwhelmed by everything and he, he dies a very unceremonious death off screen um which again all right so to bring it back um there's a the original script has a lot of these same scenes very different structure one major change is that the Bennings thing scene doesn't happen in the original script. Instead, after Blair goes crazy, Blair does not kill the dogs, and the dogs escape or are let out by someone, heavily implied to be Clark. Um, in fact, there's a scene where Clark asks to go to the bathroom, and that's when the power cuts and Fuchs disappears, um, which is a more like obvious red herring. Uh, but, um, in the script, they chase after the dogs, and it turns out one or more of the dogs was infected, and one of those kill Bennings. Um, in, like, a weird chase sequence on, like, snowmobiles, um, which was eventually cut at some point. Then they come back, Fuchs disappears, and there was a whole subplot in the script of Childs and Palmer growing, uh, growing weed in the greenhouse, and it's like it's very not as funny as you'd hope it would be and um they go into the greenhouse and find out that someone has broken into it there's like this running thing in the original script of like walls being like having holes in it which is implied to be the thing which i think is lifted from the hawks film um and then they close the door and bennings has been stabbed through the door with a shovel um, so he was, like, objectively murdered in the original script. Uh, the funny thing is, they apparently shot most of that. <laughs> because you can find it on the DVD copy I have. I believe it has been cleared up since then. But on the DVD copy I have, there is a, like, deleted scenes section. And they have some, like, photographs from deleted scenes. And one of them is what they describe as, like, Norwegian stabbed through door with, uh, with shovel. But if you look at it, it's fucking, uh, it's fucking Fuchs. Fuchs has been stabbed through the wall, and, but they don't identify him for some reason. And this is where I found it. I read an article years ago that Carpenter basically reworked the entire structure of this movie like, in the middle of it. So, like, this scene of finding Fuchs's corpse was added. There is a production still of uh, Bennings being stabbed in the back with, like, a pickaxe by a shadowy figure, um, which was filmed, I guess, and there's a deleted scene of uh, Bennings going into the dog kennel and, like, seeing someone, which I believe was supposed to lead into his original murder. And, um... Whatever, these changes that were made were all the correct ones, is all I want to point out. I completely agree. Yeah. You mentioned this as a problem-solving film, not a mystery film. And one, I commend you for that, because that's that's kind of a perfect way to put it. And I think that's also why it's Carpenter's best, because directing at the end of the day is problem-solving. And you could have the best game plan ever going into a film. And just something's going to come up. Stuff happens. It doesn't say anything about the people you're working with, generally, or or, or, or or you as a director. There will always just be problems that need to be solved. And Carpenter's strength in this case, uh, obviously, is leads to one of the greatest films ever made. Yeah, I could just not say anything for the rest of this and just be like, yep, that was great. 
Well, this is the classic where we're in the last 30 minutes. Like, believe it or not, like, every... We haven't even talked about, like, some of the major scenes in this film, and those are all packed into the last 30 minutes. Yeah, I never really kept track of myself watching the thing until this commentary. Well, if you, if you want to talk about a more, like, extreme version of this, again, The Hateful Eight, which is a movie that's, like, three hours long, the first two hours are, like, entirely set up, and then the last hour, just everything goes insane. <laughs> So, like, that's, like, an extent, because this is, like, a 90-minute film almost, so. That's all, hour 50, that's actually a little, uh, longer than you think. It feels like a 90-minute movie. Yeah, I mean, this is one of the best-paced movies, like, ever made. Like, everything, everything about this yeah. film kind of fits the bill of, like, a possible best thing ever. I'm not sure how much this comes across, um, to the viewer, but, uh, the thing that happens here where he cuts his line by the shack, where we see all these, like, weird little, like, posts that, like, help guide you. Because um, it is true that it gets, whiteout is so bad in the Arctic that you can, like, barely see a foot in front of your face. <laughs> so to, just to navigate this base, you need stuff like that, which is how um, Nalls was able to lose him. And again, talk about, Nalls in the script is uh, very much a white man writing what they think a young black man would talk like. Oh, no. Uh, it's very not good, but, like, uh, the actor playing him, um, whose name I cannot remember, I, I, sorry, I think it's TK something, um, he, uh, he brings so much humanity to him as just, like, he's like, man, I'm the chef, <laughs> like, I'm not supposed to be in this <laughs> shit. <laughs> I took this because for fucking I I'm broke at home. I'm a good chef. They're paying me a ridiculous amount. I can do a year in the Arctic, and all this shit happens because <laughs> he's so upset that he had to cut uh, McCready loose, even though he believes McCready's the thing. And that's all in the performance, you know. Like, and that's what <laughs> like you're getting that information in like less than thirty seconds. Yeah. Because sometimes with a film, you you don't need to reiterate everything, you know? Like, sometimes you've just got it. And the thing is, like, a 90-minute sequence of just getting it repeatedly. Mm -hmm. And to talk about, um, again, not knowing if the person knows they're the thing or not, um, Palmer's an interesting character because he's the thing for a large portion of it. Uh, and he's always the one that's, like, constantly, like, stirring tensions <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's the one who's always, like, saying, like, I don't trust Windows, I don't want to go with him, I don't want to do that. I ain't going. Yeah. He's <laughs> also reading uh, Chariots of the Gods, the Ancient Aliens book, which I have on the shelf right next to me as we're recording. <laughs> <laughs> don't ask me why I own that book, but I do. Um, one thing I will say that I don't, that I think maybe could have been set up a little better is, um... Oh, God, I can't remember his name. Sweater Guy. I normally know all these guys' names. Sweater Guy. That's his name now. Sweater Guy, but uh, his um, his heart attack that he has I, in the middle I of guess. all this. I don't know, but I guess I just kind of figured, like, like he, he was already the guy that was set up like as the guy that well, could handle that. Yeah, I just think there could have been a moment where he's like, I got heart problems or something. Cause, uh, Maybe he's taking heart pills? Yeah, because unfortunately it does kind of underline that, like, something's up with that guy. <laughs> like, which is a weird thing where it's like, it could be the thing maybe was slowly taking him over from within. Because they talk about that, like, if one cell mm -hmm. gets in you, it can take you over. 
Uh, and then, um, but it also indicates that if the thing replicates you perfectly, it also replicates your health problems. <laughs> oh, which is kind of funny. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, so that's one way to kill the thing. It has to infect someone with like cancer. Well, it doesn't kill him, unfortunately. It oh, turns him well, into right. a head crab monster. Oh. <laughs> but I, I find the implication of that very funny. And I think that's why my idea of why Fuchs burned himself is that um, he realized he was infected because he and Blair were working so closely. Okay, with the, um, okay. You know, the, uh, the autopsy stuff, and that's when they got infected. Where, and also, I, so I think he went out there, and he the one who's been stashing this stuff is Blair. I think Blair's the one. He's infected at least somewhat and is doing things. Because he's also building the flying saucer. Uh, which is also where I think he might have been infected when he was, like, cutting up the place. And, up oh, surprise! <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. That's so good right there. Uh, yeah. But, um... I think that when he was breaking everything and chopping up the place, I think he thinks he's helping, but I think that's the infection already working on his brain. Um, like that's a scary. Yeah, ass well, I, I believe in the in the short story, um, the thing is like somewhat psychic. Like that's how it's able to trick people with part of its shape shifting. So like people are like losing their own minds in that story. So I kind of just, I took a little bit of that and said maybe there's like some brain things going on here. <laughs> oh, okay. So like when the neck was separated, right? Yeah. And so like when it starts like spurting spaghetti or yeah. whatever shit's coming out of him, that's like the coolest shit to me. I, and I, I don't know why, but just like the little additions of like the little spurts as the tendon starts snapping, it just gives it like so much more personality. And not, not that it even needs it because like, this is obviously like fucking terrific and across the board and some of the best yeah. uh, special effects ever. But that like that puts it above and like beyond the Call of Duty, you know, like just that little. Yeah. Well, and you get, you get all these negative reviews of this movie that talk about the effects being like overwhelming and it being too crazy. And like it's insane to me that there was a time where we complained about good special effects in movies. Uh-huh. Like, literally, these people are complaining that the effects are too good. And I feel like it's a backlash. It's a, like, this movie is like a weird, simultaneous backlash to the pessimism of New Hollywood in the 70s, but also anger at, like, the Spielbergian George Lucas ripoffs that were starting to come. Like, because it's angry at the special effects, but it's also angry at how bleak and violent the film is. Yeah. Let me also just say that the you gotta be fucking kidding it's like the funniest fucking reaction oh yeah in the history of cinema because <laughs> that's like just the audience at that point you know it's great and talk about a movie with like very few jokes like uh that's like a perfect punchline that like feels realistic you know uh-huh. yeah it doesn't feel like it's just being snappy to be snappy and now we go into the blood test scene which might be the greatest scene ever filmed. <laughs> yeah, like we're being we're being very hyperbolic right now, but it's the thing. So I think it's okay this time. Yeah. And yeah, that is probably true. Also, talk about we had that one shot earlier where we see uh where we see uh Clark Palm 
the scalpel that he's trying to get close to McCready with to stab him, uh, which is a very, you know, again, mathematical. Just, I think uh, Guillermo del Toro described this movie as like a mathematical montage that makes you feel, <laughs> it makes you feel rhythmically secure and then scares you. <laughs> Um, I'd want to hear an entire commentary uh, by Guillermo del Toro about the thing. I know I would too. That this is a movie that I'd want to watch with Guillermo del Toro, um, even in like a theater or something. Just hearing him talk over a microphone with it. Found a good tweet of him kind of defending incredible. it, where he just ends it with like "fuck the critics." <laughs> <laughs> For a while on his Twitter, uh, he, he was doing like daily t- film recommendations. You know, like, you can still find them. He still does them once in a while, but, like, before he he started yeah. working on Shape of Water, he did a lot of recommendations. Yeah, someone someone cataloged a bunch of them, like, on different websites. He was also doing books, too, and he recommended a lot of really good books. Yeah, what a guy. Uh, it's also, there's uh, the thing with the lighting on the people's eyes, if you're the thing, are, like, slightly different, I believe. Really? Um, I... I I can't remember what it is. I'll have to wait and see if I catch it. I just missed it with Palmer. But um, there was some decision made. Okay. Oh, my God. You know what? I think I think I could see it because everyone else's eyes – maybe I'm wrong here. Or, uh, someone can, like, comment or something and just let me know. But I think uh, everyone's eyes are, like, completely lit yeah. with, like, no shadows – Hanging over their faces, but Palmer's has like a, a, a slight, like sh- darker shade. And I think he's the one that, like, is the only one that like breaks eye contact during it. Which again, it's weird. It's, I think it's really great that, like, clearly Carpenter didn't think through. Like, th- this isn't like a Kubrickian. Like, I tortured my actors until they gave the exact performance I wanted. Like, he's like he let all the characters play themselves the exact way they wanted and it makes it like so much better because it's you you feel like you're right there with these guys experiencing these moments yeah also just like a reminder that you don't have to torture your actors like to yeah. get something out of them you know like you you can push people creatively to a point but not don't be like a, an aggressive asshole and, and you're all in that together you know well, here's the thing actors are actors let them do their job yeah. Like, there's a there's a video. I cannot find it anymore. If someone can find it, send me. It used to be on YouTube. I believe it got taken down because of copyright bots. But someone re-edited the scene where it's McCready, you know, giving his whole speech about when a man bleeds and then, like, doing all the tests. But Palmer immediately turns into the thing. But McCready just keeps going through the motions. <laughs> Where he's like, now let's test Doc. And then it'll cut back to Palmer, like, killing Windows. And McCready doesn't react until he tests Palmer. And it worked. It was, like, brilliant. Whoever did that was a genius. Um, I I haven't seen it in years because it got taken down. But if someone finds it, let me know. Um the way Windows is framed right there, it, it, it does look a little ominous. Like, I never noticed that before. Like, if you introduce this film to someone who did not know the thing, and, like, I was watching it for the first time, right? I might be able to catch that, but, like, I, I bet that would catch people off guard for a second. Well, I love this tenseness of, like, they don't even know. Like, they, they might be the thing and not know it, which is scary to think. Uh, oh, this is the famous clock was human, huh? 
<laughs> oh, that guy comes up with him, and first he does the doc. Uh, but that's a, one of my favorite. Um, Keith David is so good in this movie. Keith David is the shit. Like, we haven't even praised the stuff that normally is praised with stuff in the thing, but, like, Keith David is the shit. Like, oh, he, yeah. He's one of the great character actors. Like, he's just a great actor in general, but uh, he, he doesn't get enough credit. Yeah. Well, enough big work, I guess, because he does work a lot, you know, but, like, a lot of it is, like, direct-to-video stuff now. His career, though, is, like, the dream of, like, what you want in a Hollywood career. I mean, this is a, the setup of this is so brilliant. And they also, they had that shot earlier with the fake hand, so you got used to it. Like, that's, that's a brilliant little touch. So then when that happens, it's like, oh, shit. And uh. the cut is so fast. Like, you, you don't really get the chance to notice anything even, like, off or whatever, right? Yeah. Like, if you did a frame-by-frame, frame, you'd probably be able to see that it's, like, a fake hand or, like, it doesn't move. Like, oh, and the, the bleeding eyes always kills me. Look like little tumors popping out. It's like tumors coming. It's kind of like when the dude explodes at the end of a Videodrome with all the tumors when he gets shot. <laughs> <laughs> Another movie, how is Videodrome recognized? I don't even know, because that feels like a movie that everyone would just call, like, pornography. Like, I feel like that one was more respected because it, like, wore its themes on its sleeve a lot more. Yeah, I, I guess. Because Carpenter's obviously very, um... You know what? He's not subtle either. I don't... I, don't, I think you're right. I, I think people just didn't look yeah. for what his movies were about. Yeah, I think everyone was just caught off guard. And, but it is a movie where I think this is a movie that it helps to know the plot before you go in as much as it's a suspense film because you can't really put together everything that's going on until you know the whole story. And I bet that was probably frustrating for some critics who like don't really have time to rewatch a movie and probably don't want to revisit a movie as violent and bleak as and disgusting as yeah. this. You know, I like to, to talk to someone who gave this a negative review back in the day and still has not revisited it. That could be kind of fun. Um, I think they all might be dead. <laughs> like, oh, no. Unfortunately. I, like, I, Oh, shit. That was like 40 years ago. This movie's like going to be 40 years old in two years. So. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, um, never mind then. But like, I think like Ebert once wrote something where he like kind of begrudgingly said the thing was good, but like still like couldn't, you know, Ebert famously never backed down from his reviews. Like I've only seen him do it like once or twice. Uh, but yeah, uh, well he had a similar opinion to aliens with this where he's like, yeah, it works, but why? Yeah. I, I think this is just, this is the beginning of, um, yeah, I think this is, this era is just the beginning of, like, genre kind of ascending, and I, I think they just weren't really ready for it, and didn't really want it, um, which I guess is understandable, uh, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm baffled, I, I like, I tried to, like, just put myself in their shoes being like, what if I went and saw this, but I love this movie as a child, like, I think it's that weird thing where when you become an adult, sometimes you learn things that you then have to unlearn in order to, like, you know, tr understand true wisdom. <laughs> like, but I don't mm. know. Mm. 
I'm completely baffled. Oh, it turns out everyone's favorite guy, Gary, was fine the whole time. I like Gary. And his eyebrows. They're, yeah. they're very pronounced. Gary Gary had a rough couple days. <laughs> <laughs> Him and, like, Bennings. Bennings got, like, shot in the leg and, like, fucking Nulls wouldn't turn the music down. And then he got turned into the thing. Like, he had a rough, rough yeah. run. Well, Gary, he, Gary killed a guy, like, in the opening scene. Yeah. Like, he shot him in the face. Like, like they don't address that he, like, killed someone. He did, he took that pretty well. If you see when McCready shoots Clark, he's actually somewhat upset about it. <laughs> yeah. Even though they didn't get along that well, you know, he's still, like, murder. It's kind of like the serious version of when Jack Burton finally shoots someone in Big Trouble in Little China. <laughs> Oh my god, I don't actually want to see this, but it is a funny idea. Like, uh, put Jack Burton in the thing. Yeah. Yeah, he would... switch the roles. Well, he's Palmer. Palmer died, turned into the thing pretty quickly. Fucking, uh, Jack Burton would not last long (laughs) in these situations. I mean, that's like the beauty of Kurt Russell characters. His characters are so often, like, well-defined that, like, even with, like, minimal characteristics, Mm uh, and you can kind of plug them into, like, wherever and it would be interesting to see like yeah. how they react to different situations and they're often what i love is that they're often um very fallible characters like uh jack burton is like the overt version of it where like that's the joke but a lot of uh kurt russell heroes fuck up constantly <laughs> and which is good to see like you feel like that's something that certain actors these days with their egos um, not to point any fingers, where they, like, have to win all the time, like, that, um, I do kind of love how B-movie the, uh, flying saucer is. Yeah, it keeps it simple, you know? Like, it's literally just a flying saucer. Like, sometimes you don't need to reinvent the wheel. Sometimes the wheel's sturdy enough as it is. I just remember there was a critic back in, again, um, reviewing the thing, video game, an angry critic guy but he made a really funny line where he's like can you imagine wolford brimley landing in a in this thing in a major metropolitan city <laughs> like <laughs> it's, it's like made out of fucking like helicopter parts no see see that would be kind of amazing just to like watch that uh, yeah. i also don't know how a human being would fit into that flying saucer i don't know but maybe maybe he would shift he is the thing okay yeah Again, yeah it really, it just needs one little cell to get there. Oh, and so. see, like, like, that's a compelling idea, and I never really thought about this, but, like, for whatever remake, sequels, ideas, spinoffs that they have, uh, I, I never want to see it. But it is cool to think about just, like, if it just, the thing shapeshifts inside the ship. Like, it's basically Play-Doh, and that's how it, like, controls the uh, the spaceship, you know? Like, I, I, I don't know if that's more horrifying or fascinating, yeah. but it's... It's something that's going to stick with me, this idea of how it pilots that ship now. It's gonna, there's, there's a lot of stuff you could do here, which is why I think that prequel is such a failure, because it's basically just the thing again. And it really just shows you that, like, you take any pieces away or put any new pieces in, you fundamentally break this story. You just can't remake it, is all I'm saying. Like, it's just impossible. It's also just louder as a film, you know? Like, what is the thing but more? Yeah. 
Yeah. It's a shame. Uh, not not many. Um, there aren't any good, real ripoffs of this. Although I just saw my favorite movie of the year so far. Um, and I of course have not seen many movies from this year because of uh, the situation. Um, but uh, the color out of space uh, is a very uh, kind of uh, John Carpenter the thing vibe, but also like kind of madcap and satirical <laughs> and just um, ridiculous. But it plays a lot of the creature stuff in it very straight, while also being its own thing. Because like a lot of the people that try to do the thing end up just being a lesser version of the thing. Yeah. Or, or, like, there's always, like, a fucking crabhead monster now. Yeah. Like everyone wants the crabhead monster now. Uh, the only people who do that right, um, Valve Software in the Half-Life games. Yeah. And, and that one's, like, genuinely, like, upsetting and scary. Oh, yeah. The, those things are horrible. Like, the head crabs in those are terrifying. Um, but, uh... See, they did it right. They took what came before and made it their own. You know, that's... Don't just... Do it because something you liked did it too at some point, you know? Like, do your own thing with it. This is always a fucked up, just the implication of just, you know you're going to die and yeah. all this stuff. This is, again... Yeah, see, I'm, I'm definitely, uh, like, with John Carpenter's read with this, just really quick. It, it's it's dark and cynical and nihilistic, but, like, you know, these men come together and realize that, like, yeah, we're not going to get out of this, but we can stop this from spreading, you know? It's that World War II suicide mission kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I think it's the ultimate futility of human existence, but hey, <laughs> that's just me. Uh, well, because I think they win. I think, I think the the older I get, the bleaker and bleaker this film feels. Like it just because I mean, at the end of the day, the real thing to go is like, you gotta remember the thing crashed here. <laughs> What was the thing doing when he wasn't crashing? That's scary. <laughs> and if there's more out there, like everything in this is fucking meaningless. <laughs> so God. I hate, to, hate to be hate to be a downer. Um, I believe uh, I I read um, the original script in it. Windows does not die in that sequence instead um the the doc didn't die in the chest um scene in the head crab scene he lived and then he dies during the blood test and windows lives until this scene where they decide they're gonna um they're gonna pair up and then they're gonna blow up the base um and then meeting together in the middle so they can make sure to get the thing um that's the plan, and then they end up getting attacked by, like, a giant Blair thing, which you never fully see. Like, I believe, like, it's just, like, kind of, like, giant hands coming through. Like, it, one of them grabs uh, Windows and drags him to his death, but you don't fully see it. Um, and, like, Nulls gets cornered, and then, like, it just implies that he's going to be killed. Um, that was, of course, heavily changed. And I will say... Um, love this movie, and I had this moment watching this where I was like, oh shit, maybe The Thing is my favorite movie of all time. Like, over Jaws. Like, I had that moment where I'm like, am I gonna dethrone the movie that I've said is my favorite since childhood um, for The Thing? And I think the thing that undercut it, and that makes it second, is just that uh, climax leaves a little to be desired. 
it's not the worst. It's not like awful or anything. It's just, um, you know, you just you just had two of the greatest scenes of all time, <laughs> <laughs> and it's hard to top it. And the film doesn't top it. Um, no, no, it doesn't top it. But I just think it's so effective. You know, just like as a sort of like, oh fuck it, this is all. No, I no, got. it's it's, a, it's fine. Like I, I totally am fine with how it ultimately ends. I'm just saying in terms of like watching it play out, this is like the one moment where I'm like, eh, like it's kind of like it, another movie that does that for me a little bit is aliens where every time I watch aliens, which I love the moment that, um, what's her name gets captured. The little girl, uh, newt newt when newt gets captured, I always kind of tune out for like the next 10 minutes. Like I find that sequence, not super engaging, not doesn't kill the movie, just not, you know, my favorite. It's kind of like goes through the motions a little bit. And this, it's like, I love where it goes, but it just feels like it's going through the motions. Not to make this an alien conversation in the middle of the thing commentary, but uh, this might be controversial, but Ripley throwing down with the queen and the power loader is cool for like a second. And then I'm like, ah, I'm fine with this. Um, I, It's cool, but like, I don't... I don't know, I like yeah, it. Yeah, I, I don't dislike it. I just like... I'm not, I'm not gonna... The way you feel about the ending to the thing... Or the final showdown, I guess. The final showdown. Not a hill. Not a hill I'm willing to die on, but um, I think it's that thing where whenever you read, like, the proposed aliens, too, that is always talked about, they always somehow work, like, another power loader fight into it. Everyone just learned the wrong lessons from that. That's why I'm glad Alien 3 exists in its butchered, controversial form. Where it's just like, yeah, this all happened. We gotta live with it. But the thing, sequels or spinoffs or whatever, should also follow suit and just, or remakes or whatever the fuck happens next, because you just know what's going to happen. Don't do the thing we know. Just don't do the callback, you know? Don't don't just do repeated things that we're familiar just with. Just do, just do what this movie did, which literally just told its own story. Like, just... Well, some asshole's gonna be like, I made it more like the novella, and then you watch it, and it's like, nope, you just made John Carpenter's The Thing. Like, eh, ah, whatever. Like, just do something else, you know? Carpenter did other stuff with it. There's also famously, I think, uh, there's a longer version of this sequence, of course, where um, the Blair thing is like more of a giant monster. <laughs> Uh, which you can find, you can find it. It's not great quality. I think I have the deleted scene on my DVD. Um, and, uh, it's, it's, it doesn't really add a ton to it. Um, I think the version that we have is fine enough. Uh, yeah, this is a, I do like this scene of all the floorboards kicking up. That's pretty, that's pretty fucking cool. Uh, it, oh, it drags it out so long, so you, like, every time I watch it, I don't know the moment it's going to happen, you know? Mm. You were mentioning that there's, like, a scene with, like, a snowmobile chase or whatever, and, like, shit like that is, like, way too big for this story, and a climax like this, I think, is as big as it should get. Yeah, ever. I'm not saying I wanted a bigger... No, 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 yeah, I'm not, yeah. I'm not even saying, like, you're saying that. I'm just, I'm just glad it doesn't ever become this huge like blockbuster spectacle thing you know yeah not like uh not like a video game like we brought up you know yeah it's a helicopter yeah. <laughs> fight <laughs> it's like a dumb video game thing like whatever it works in that capacity enough uh but it, it would like destroy um, this film well the movie's ending <laughs> um oh yeah uh 
we could talk about uh, the ambiguity of the ending, but I think that's been litigated enough. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I am optimistic about it. Matt's not. Uh, we didn't even talk about like the Frank Darabont produced possible sequel that almost happened on Sci-Fi as a miniseries, which I believe was going to be set in like New Mexico. Was it? Like, yeah, was it, yeah. Like a New Mexico army base. Because when I first started hearing about that online, it was like right after I saw the thing for the first time, and I was like, "Whoa, <laughs> like, like what? It's gonna be like in a town? What's that gonna look like?" And I just, I, and then I just stopped hearing about it. I didn't hear about it anymore because it fell through. And it's always kind of crushed me. It would, it would be interesting to see this as like an outbreak movie, but like it wouldn't follow like conventional story structure if you wanted to do it right. And it would just be fucking so bleak. Like there's really no way to do it, but it's an interesting take. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, what I, what I would imagine is that it would be kind of like the blob that Frank Darabont drew, wrote. Um, and in case you didn't know that, Frank Darabont wrote the Blob remake from the 80s. The Blob has, like, a buoyancy to it. The thing should not have that buoyancy. At least a sequel to John Carpenter's yeah. film. It would have to be bleaker. Yeah. Um, one thing I would like to talk about before we leave is uh, Dale Cooper's original version of the Thing creature design, which was unused. Um, I, I found mixed sources saying that because at one point Tobe Hooper was going to do this, he might have come on board then and then join Carpenter. Um, he had this original version where the thing was going to be like this brain parasite that sat on people's heads and like controlled them like puppets and then psychically projected still being fully human. Uh, it's a very weird concept. You can find, they built a model of it. You can find it online. Uh, and there's tons of artwork, too. Uh, unfortunately, uh, Dale was assaulted by a drunk biker early in his time on the production and couldn't f do uh, any of the uh, special effects work for a little bit. And the studio, instead of going with him, went with Rob Botin, who had a completely different take on it. Um, you can find information about Dale's portfolio online, and he's incredibly bitter in it. He spends most of the time complaining about John Carpenter's version, and he also accuses Rob Bottin of, like, snaking the job out from under him. It's an interesting take. Uh, I'm very glad it didn't happen. I do feel bad for Dale, though, who did not have a prosperous career afterwards. Ah, man. That's too bad. That's kind of a bummer. An appropriate downer, I guess, for the ending of this film. Yeah, it's it's worth reading about. Yeah, I guess we gotta end it on a down note. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know, sometimes sometimes things just don't work out. Exactly, just like this. N no, <laughs> no, no, no. No, this is fiction. That was real. It's a tragedy. It's not, not something to make light of. All I'm saying is there's truth in this art. That I, I would agree with. Okay. I guess to kind of bring it around before we head out, uh, all this John Carpenter stuff kind of has like this punk rock attitude to it. Like this kind of fuck the system, fuck the man. And then uh, this movie literally ends with the world around them on fire. And maybe that's part of the reason why it was rejected initially. You know? It's a punk rock movie, so it got a punk rock response. And uh, that's not always the most positive thing. Um uh, at the outset. Yeah. This was John Carpenter's The Thing. Uh, yep, that was it.
Um, I don't have much more to say. We can end this right here. Yeah, th- thanks for suggesting this, Matt. This was a lot of fun. No problem. I had a great time. And maybe we'll have to do more of these if this does well. If we're still under quarantine in a month. <laughs> we, we probably just will be. <laughs> but until then, Matt, where can the people find you? I'm at EmperorOTN1 at Twitter.com. And I'm also, I am now streaming on Twitch.tv at just EmperorOTN um, every uh, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And I will put a link to that down below in the YouTube, SoundCloud descriptions. And also listen to us on iTunes and Spotify. And congratulations to patrons who got this way earlier than everyone else. Uh, (laughs) I have been your host, Diego Crespo. Please follow me at the Twitters at the Diego Crespo and also the Waffle Press at all those places I mentioned. So thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Be safe. Stay hygienic. Stay hydrated. Take care of yourselves out there. Take care of each other. We have been professionally unprofessional. Bye.